0: You're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff Milo, and joining me on the podcast today is Megan Abbott. We are glad to be back after a little bit of a summer break, and we have some great episodes coming up in the weeks ahead, but Megan Abbott is born and raised here in the Metro Detroit area, as we mentioned on the podcast. So we're so glad to kick off this new season of episodes with a chat with her about her new book the turnout which takes us into the world of ballet into a dance studio owned and operated by two sisters who have been in ballet their whole life they've been raised by their mother who was a ballet teacher but a couple of tragedies strike early in the beginning of this book and that sows some disharmony in the relationship between these two sisters as they are getting ready to cast a lot of aspiring young very young dancers for the nutcracker ball and then basically your iteration of your worst nightmare of a contractor comes in to help repair the school after it sustains a fire. And then the pressure cooker is on from there, as as you'll hear in our chat. Now, Megan Abbott is the award-winning author of 10 novels, including The Fever and Dare Me and so many more. She received her PhD in literature from New York University. and Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, LA Times Magazine, and many other places. She is the co-creator and executive producer of the uh, USA Channel's adaptation of her book, Dare Me, and was a staff writer on HBO's David Simon show, The Deuce. And then this book, her latest, The Turnout, is uh, part of Read with Jenna's book club from the Today Show. Now, as I said, Megan Abbott, a best-selling and award-winning author, is revered for her suspense writing that explores the dark underbellies and competitive atmospheres of intimate powerful and vulnerable spaces traditionally reserved for women it has been gymnastics it has been cheer and now here with the turnout it is ballet the turnout is a revelatory and mesmerizing new novel and it is set against the hothouse atmosphere of a family ballet studio And it is, as I said, during an intense and fraught season that the uh, ballet company is enduring as they prepare for the Nutcracker. And it reveals the calluses, bruises, violence, and yearning lurking beneath the lovely surfaces of the pink and the tutus. The turnout itself, though I'm not a dancer as the move I, I understand it to be, is this turn of the hip that winds up pivoting the entire lower leg until the feet get into such a certain position. It feels like a, to me, a chain reaction that the dancer's hip will initiate as it turns and turns and turns. And that's kind of what happens in here when tragedy strikes early and how is Dara and how is Marie going to respond? But we don't want to spoil it from there. We're going to move on to our chat with Megan Abbott talking about her latest. Hey, good morning, Megan. How are you?
1: Good morning. How are you?
0: I'm very well.
1: Right right near my mom.
0: I was just about to ask, how close are we to your stamping grounds?
1: Very, very close. I love Ferndale.
0: Glad to hear that. Thank you so much. And thanks so much for this opportunity to chat with you.
1: I'm so glad to do it.
0: I really enjoyed this book, despite how intense it was. So intense. (laughs) Yeah, it's heavy. (laughs) But it is a page-turner, despite how... uh, If I can't find another (laughs) adjective other than intense. You know... But you do what you do and you do it so well. So bravo and another great book. And so I want to start with the Durant School is like a a tiny enclosed universe of stability uh, for for Dara and Charlie and Marie. Charlie used to be, I guess, almost a few steps away from a, a surrogate brother in childhood. Now in adulthood, he's married Dara. Marie is like this third wheel. Can you talk to us about what was important to you about bringing these characters and their relationship? to the page and about this invasion into the dance company that sows disharmony
1: yes i was i was I've always been interested in those kinds of families that are they're very insular and so so tight that you from the outside you can't really even figure out when they're talking what they're talking about it all feels very coded and mysterious and uh, and somewhat and everyone, uncomfortable yes yes like you know stuff is going on but you don't quite know what and That was so interesting to me. And the roles that in these families that one takes that, you know, Marie in this case will always be the third wheel, the sort of wild child, uh, the one who needs to be disciplined and Dara is the older one Well, you know, they sort of have these roles that they can't break out of. And Mm -hmm. the idea was to have them really feel very established and also grounding for them, even though they're sort of imprisoning them. Mm -hmm. And then when this outside force comes in, It's sort of like having literally your world overturned.
0: Sure, sure. Uh, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler that we see the book for the most part from Dara's, not point of view, but we do spend a lot of time following Dara. She's kind of in charge. Marie is sort of in observation. And what you do so well is when I was reading the book, my loyalties of kind of who I was rooting for or supporting uh, ebbed and flowed, even though Marie seems like to Dara, like a problem, but she's, expressing independence in a way too despite the, the circumstances you know what i mean
1: yeah no that's just what i was hoping for mm-hmm. um is that you would have keep shifting uh, your loyalties at the you adara's know, and first first always because she's the only one whose head we go into and mm-hmm. so you tend to as a reader we tend to sort of side with that person and then sort of sort of seeing when it feels like she goes too far mm-hmm. or she's not being fair mm-hmm. and Sort of getting at all, all of that, you know, because we all are ambiguous people and, you know, ambivalent and we all have our moments. And I really wanted to get, especially in the way that family members, how that can take on this form. Like you're so locked in these particular dynamics. Yeah. And um, Dara, you know, has always been able to control Marie. So when she finds her uncontrollable, it feels like a betrayal to her. And I wanted that to sort of come across too. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I was just reading this powerfully written column that you had in, in the Cut magazine uh, recently. It takes us back to ballet studios, as you say, in strip malls, which I presume were maybe right around here in Metro Detroit. And you speak poignantly about the scrutiny of those mirrors and this memoir that you read in the 80s. Can you take it from there and, and talk about uh, uh, any, any other personal insights or research or what pulled you to the world of, of ballet?
1: Yeah, I, it was really that writing that piece was the first time I really sort of went went deep. But why am I writing this book? Why have <laughs> I written this book that I finished a year ago? Uh, it is funny how that works. But um, you know, I did take ballet classes at uh, in St. Clair Shores, Michigan, um, at a strip mall, and it was run by two sisters, and. Uh, But I do remember the the sort of tyranny of the mirrors. It's sort of your first experience for many young girls, especially of sort of comparing your body to other bodies that seem to be able to do things you can't make yours do. And you're supposed to be looking in the mirror all the time and watching your form and how that uh, dancers will talk about how they can see the mirror when their eyes are shut. Now they're so used to it. Um, And could, you know, I just knew that I was never going to be able to do what the what the more talented dancers could do, and I didn't want to do it at all if I couldn't do that. And it's that that perfectionism that is so um, a requirement in mm-hmm. ballet, um, and is often. You know, women, I think, feel that already. So in some ways, it sort of becomes ballet is sort of a stand-in for for womanhood. This Not that, I mean, I think men can certainly feel that, too. But Mm -hmm. the, the form it takes with women is that you're not supposed to show that you're trying. It's supposed to look perfect, like a ballet dancer. You're not supposed to show the blood, sweat, and tears, and the torn feet, and the fractured ankle. You know, all these sort of things. And so it was really... It was really a way of getting at that how we all can lock into that. I think we all have some version of that feeling.
0: You mentioned uh, that that torn feet and that that sort of visceral uh, thing that's going on in this book. Maybe I'm reading too deep, but the the book is is heavy on the. Uh, there's there's a fire at the dance studio, and there are renovations, and there's this invading contractor, and what seems to be this reverse anthropomorphic bond of demolition to the building, revisiting demolitions upon their bodies and relationships and their psyches, this metaphysic, psychosomatic bond to the building. Is there also at all, when you're writing that, any metaphysical bond between you and the page? Is it har- Is it a harder day for you when you're particularly writing something very vis- uh, visceral, palpable, destructive, descriptive? <laughs>
1: That's sort of where I feel most comfortable. (laughs) um, You know, other stuff is harder, but that's sort of what, you know, I guess for it, it transports me. um, And I feel like I'm getting to sort of, paint the, you know, to sort of take on the architecture remember I'm painting the walls of the room. I'm, I'm pulling the curtains. I'm, you know, lighting the candle. Uh, mm-hmm. um, that all is the fun part mm-hmm. because I really want to, I mean, I'm always thinking about the person reading it. The, mm-hmm. the reader is always in my head, whoever I'm at, you know, the, 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 the reader quote unquote, and I really want them to be with me on this and yeah. I want to take them someplace. So, yeah. so that's sort of also a way It's a way of trying to get the reader in that space, but it's also to get me in that space with them and we're in it together.
0: Oh, yeah. There's a lot of sound in this book. You know, you might think of a ballet dancer, light on their toes and being quiet, but there's floorboards being ripped up and there's raised voices and there's shoes and there's there's just a lot of noise. It's very, you know.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was, um, it really was that sonic element yes. was really important for me. It was something I noticed when I was watching ballet rehearsals on YouTube, of which there are thousands. And, right. Yeah. Uh, it's such a feature cuz they often don't even have any music on there. They just have the it's just the beat. Yeah. And um, so you're hearing all this. You're hearing actually mu- you know muscles cracking and, and right. all of that.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: exactly. And,
0: and again, this is such a page turner despite how visceral it really is. Can you touch on we touched on what what drew you to ballet? Can you also touch on what is kind of a continued exploration for you of these worlds when we look back to previous books such as Gymnastics or Cheer Squads? These these worlds that require discipline of the body, often inviting physical and mental strain under this guise or pretense of fostering a sense of allegiance or being a part of a company, but all of that strain that comes with it.
1: Yeah, I suppose that's my deepest fascination, though I wouldn't have known it um, until I sort of look back. But it is that tension between the these places where individual achievement and team or group achievement both matter. And um, and it's sort of hard to tell which matters more at any given moment, which creates this unease and this tension. And there are also places where, um, you know, someone who, I mean, I never had any athletic ability either. It's, it seems very exotic about being able to make your body do things and uh, the the joys of that and the price of that is, it feels really potent. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the only way I can kind say I lack it personally is that the, um, the sort of discipline and superstition of dance and sports is certainly also true with writing. Um, it does require you to, to be sitting in that chair every day and you, you really do have to chisel away even if it feels like nothing's happening. And um and I, I don't know any writer that doesn't have certain superstitions, whether it's the, the, the pen they jot down notes with or, you know, I have little figures around my computer. Mm-hmm. I have little charms mm-hmm. and uh, um, always feel a little bit like a baseball player with a lucky bat
0: sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you tell us a little bit more about what, what as a writer, what fascinates you, what pulls you, what draws you to this these pressures that we put upon ourselves and the the pressures that we maybe even voiced upon our loved ones. I'm thinking not only of the pressure for perfection in ballet, but this general longing for some idyllic prized glamor. I'm thinking of Dara and Charlie worrying about the prestige of the studio and the parents worrying about stage time and role size for their small children and this collateral reverberation of pressure and anxiety that results.
1: Yeah, so I think it means I'm a very anxious person. <laughs> oh, but it, it it is, I mean, certainly I could say from a, a thriller point of view, what you're creating are these pressure cookers, right? Yeah. So it sort of it creates this, you know, it's like they used to call them sensation novels in the 19th century where you're sort of feeling all these things all the time. And mm-hmm. I think that's sort of the, the official answer. I mean, the other answer, I suppose, is that... Uh, You know, going back to that perfectionism, I've always been fascinated by the drive, Mm -hmm. the drive to make things exactly as you think it should be. And and how, you know, the problem is you have these achievements in mind or these goals, but once you get them, it just becomes about the next one. Um, And there's this I mean. You were mentioning metaphysical, but I think it's well, that part is a little more existential. It's okay. like, what is this all for? <laughs> and, uh, and at what cost? And so that's sort of always on my mind. And yeah. it's always been a part of ballet, too. So I think it's, it's probably also why I, I came to it.
0: Sure. Uh, and then just one last question that I'll kind of smush together here is that there is these two other pressures that are on Dara there. I mean, there is the book opens, again, not a spoiler, that their, their parents have died rather tragically. So there is this sense of legacy. They have inherited the school, and the school is kind of in peril. The other pressure cooker is that we have the Nutcracker coming, which feels like this deadline on the horizon. Um, Again, you've kind of gone into the pressure and the, the sensation, but could you talk about what, why you wanted to put that pressure on Dara and Marie of their their parents? And then maybe even just wrap up with why you chose the Nutcracker as their Uh, their sort of climax that they're building to.
1: Yeah, I think it was... This you know, in retrospect, um, it's this notion of that they have been in some ways very sort of arrested mm-hmm. as a, at a young age because so they're you know these sort of have run a successful business and um, and are in some ways very sophisticated uh, in their, their town, and, but they really have never never left their childhood mm-hmm. in certain ways yeah. because because of that because of their parents, uh, it's almost like a fairy tale in that way. Um, mm-hmm. And so, what what it, what would it take to force them? In into adulthood um, and all, all its joys. Uh, um, but it's freedoms and it's sort of being able to make themselves. Uh, separate from their parents and, and I think that does tie neatly into the nutcracker because it is a ballet and the original story is about a coming of age about a young girl entering womanhood and that's sort of metaphorized as this as this sort of candy land delights um, and as we all know adulthood is not quite that great but uh, this is perhaps her her fantasy of what adulthood would be like but but it became this perfect vehicle i mean i picked it because it's the one ballet that the dance schools always do it's a big money maker but but it turned out to have this other resonance, which is it is about about leaving leaving the nest, so to speak, and venturing out into the the, the treasures and tribulations of of adulthood in the world.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, the book is like a contained symphony of sensations and stress and all of that stuff and it is just so well written and bravo on it and we want to thank you for for spending time and talking to us. We're not far from your stamping grounds as we said. So it's great to hear your voice yeah, and see you. Thank you
1: so much. It's so good to talk to you and I, I can't wait to tell my mom that I'm gonna be on this special. <laughs> she will she will be so excited. It's just such a pleasure. Thank
0: you. the book is the turnout and we thank you again, Megan Emmett for joining us. Take care.
1: You too. Bye bye.
0: That was our chat with Megan Abbott. We were discussing her latest book, The Turnout, which takes us into the world of ballet, and it is leading up to the Nutcracker, and there's just all this compelling tension going on. I told Megan before we got on that there is a lot of intensity in this book, but I just could not put it down. And as I said, I'm not a dancer. I'm not into the realm of of ballet, but she captures the energy of what it's like to be in that studio so well, so recommend it check out The Turnout by Megan Abbott, and we thank her for joining us on this podcast, which is called A Little Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library podcast. It's brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. The music that you've been hearing on the intro and outro of this is by a local musician who goes under the moniker Sunset, and you can find him on Bandcamp. You can support this podcast by going to ferndalefriends.org. You can also like or follow us or leave a review on iTunes or tell a friend. If you liked this episode, share it to social media. But just in general, we want to say thank you, as always, for listening.